I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. The June 22nd DevOps Lunch and Learn was about CI/CD infrastructure, but like a lot of things we talk about, before you can get to continuous integration and continuous deployment, you have to actually understand how the systems work together. So we also talked about low-code, no-code, and how you would do integration testing for that. And then we talked about unit test and code coverage and how those impact your continuous integration and continuous delivery challenges. So clearly a topic that we are going to keep digging into um, and resolving more closely. Uh, You'll learn a lot, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Yeah, the, the topic for today was about CICD. Yep, uh, it works. And I've been doing some research on, on some of the CICD stuff, and I'm, I'd love to hear what people <clears throat> think and especially why, why it's why, – <laughs> why do we pick why it's broken? Um, uh, well, I, I got a, a big one for why it's broken, having a friend at VMware who is uh, a critical – critical element in their uh, build release uh, area and it will be retiring in January. He, he's got all these secrets that nobody ever bought really was interested in, in doing. He digs into things like how many millions of lines of code VMware has and how many pieces of it are parts of builds that when he starts tracing back, haven't been touched for sometimes a decade or more, and nobody owns it. Ouch. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, open source is that way too, but any company with a decent history has got that problem. So it hasn't been code reviewed in ten years either. Oof. Yeah, this the idea of, of so were you're are are you thinking specifically around the the dangers of like just lack of integration and test coverage or so it all builds, but when it doesn't build, uh, and he started seeing things that weren't building, and he'd have to track it back to what was broken and track it back through multiple. Uh, multiple different packages like, uh, uh, you know, this package includes this, this package includes this, and this is where it actually, the source code itself is, and gee, it hasn't been, uh, it hasn't had a a new check-in for, you know, six, eight years, and Who's the person on it? That person hasn't been at the company for so long. That department doesn't exist anymore. Who do you go to fix it when all of your CI is now broken? <laughs> so you've got oh. that issue, but there's just no way. CI requires the, the, the whole S-bomb thing that cybersecurity is talking about. You need it for everything, including uh yeah, you know, the whole um, supply chain issue, and I mean, you're it, you're hitting you're hit. I mean, to me, one of the things that you're describing, if if they actually have a CI system that builds the code, they've got a leg up on a lot of companies that don't actually can't reproduce builds. I mean, maybe state of the art's a lot further along, and I I, I keep hoping it is that everybody has reproducible builds, but. Um, I'm actually amazed that OpenStack seems to have one of the most robust systems. Uh, OpenStack definitely, um, and, and and Kubernetes too. I mean, the, the yeah. build, build integration is, is really impressive. Yeah. Reproducible builds, it, it can be, in, in cases, be a lot harder than, than it seems. Because sometimes you, you've got uh, dynamic changes that are out of your control. And, and I'm not just talking about like library dependencies. Uh, but for example, um, one of the tools that uh, I was supporting with, with, with CI, uh, it was producing a, a manifest. And mm-hmm. because of 
a particular quirk in and uh, and the the language that was being used. Um, the it, it was the manifest was producing a a, a map of key value uh, pairs, which were not ordered and could not be ordered. So, even though the result should have been the same every single time, your checksum would 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 be different because the manifest was the manifest file was different. Mm. Oh yeah. I think the, what about the, the fundamental problem, though, is that people are getting paid to write software that solves problems and the build is a gateway to that. It's not actually. It doesn't show value at the bottom line. Other than, you know, having the software be available. And it's it's always been the last problem that solved instead of starting out having it be the first problem that you solve. So you're always playing catch up. Yeah, uh, but particularly particularly when 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 you start with a proof of concept software and um, you, you might just compile it manually and, and say like, okay, works for me, good. Uh, <laughs> now let, now let's work on releasing it. Uh, and at that point you you're yeah you, you are very late. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's less prevalent in, 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 or at least I feel it's less prevalent in, in established business, like large and medium, uh, businesses versus startups, um, where again, like that agility tends to be, or, or the, the intent of agility tends to be initially uh, at, uh, at, at an opposition to, uh, to setting up the, the pipelines. Uh, because in many cases, again, the, 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 the people with the idea, are, they're, they're not usually uh, DevOps uh, engineers or, or even uh, familiar with, with, with the concept. They, they, they know what they they want their software to do. They they might they might have hired first a front end developer to, to make it look pretty, uh, and yeah, it, it, it by the time the uh, the the DevOps assistant roles get, get filled in, you have this backlog of uh, of tasks and of necessary automation that is missing uh, that needs to get filled. Uh, I I don't see this, this being get I don't see this as getting better anytime soon. Um, there, there there's a lot of talk about like this like uh, uh, what what's what's the the term like no code. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, yeah that's true. It, it's getting a lot of hype, but but I've seen the, the I've I've seen us here before, and and like it, it's it's. We, yeah, we, we'll, we'll get back to the point where where, where no code doesn't produce the, the, the results that we want, and we're, we're, we're going to be back to the drawing board, back to actually writing code. Um, so no code so, means no CI. Uh, I mean, excuse me, means no um, source control versioning. Oh God! No code. No code, no code nice. means no environment. You know, progression. So it's always just live. Oh, I mean, I look back 10, year, 10, 15 years ago, God, I don't even know how long, uh, Rob, you know, I, I was working on a product that was built on someone's desk, okay? And, and my, my first weekend, I went and did a production build, and this is a big company. I did a production build and, and messed it up. Oh, no. it, was a week, it was a weekend long thing. That was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. That's, that's acceptable. But you know, 10 years ago, five to 10 years ago, I was in Chicago working for a company that had software that was going into production that was not, that was coming off of developer machines. They had three different consulting firms in there and we could not, I, I was coming in as one of the new ones <laughs> and I could not get a build environment set up because 
there was source code that was in production that was not in their source control. Okay. Two years ago, I was on a project <laughs> that that started out as, as salesware, right? So it was putting as many features in as you can, forget about the mm. build process. And then it became an enterprise software. And it was, it's, that's for a huge company and there are you know, hundreds of people working on the project and they're still trying to get a build process where they can do, you know, deploy an individual service as opposed to deploying the entire software, you know, and it's, it's, it's always, it's like people don't appreciate and 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 put it in place until it's too late. And I don't right. know how to. It, it's got to be made easier. It's it's a hard problem. I mean, let's let's get on. It it's it is a really hard problem, and there is no one solution that will fix it for everyone. We just need to accept that and pay the price up front. I, all right. I, I have. I have a lot of things that I feel. I, John's been, uh, poor John's been in the lobby listening to you talk about no code. So I, I suspect he's chomping on the bit to talk on the not, no code. I, I totally agree. We, it, it should be industry standard to be doing CICD for all the reasons. Um, but it's not. John, does no code fix it? No. I, it, it, nonetheless, as every CIO out there is basically going low code, no code. And, and I know they're looking at like, I think Gartner says by 2024, like almost 70% of all code will be done by no code environments. Um, so it's huge out there. But the example I use when we're talking about it is, so first off, most of the, most of the low code, no code do have some form of source code management behind the scenes. So, you, you do have access to code um, and pieces into it. Some let you create environments, <clears throat> although interestingly enough, they seem to charge by different environments. So if you want dev tests, some have limited number of environments, um, you know, components into it. And then they all come from different veins. There's a lot of BPMs and then ERPs, CRMs, you know, that have added effectively workflow on top of that and then said, okay, we're low code. Um, in, in those pieces. What it doesn't solve though is domain expertise, right? So if I'm gonna go write something in Salesforce, an example I always use is, you know, in, in the last startup we did, we had three VPs of sales. Every time one came in, they said the other one's implementation of Salesforce was a piece of shit and they needed more money and more time to go rewrite it. And then the next guy said the exact same thing. And so, you know, best practices are not captured in low code, no code. Um, and there's no method for actually sharing those pieces into it. So it allows this, the, the garbage in, garbage out metaphor. Um, it just makes it easier to create garbage. I That's always been a concern of mine for the low code, no code pieces. Um, because there is a lot of expertise that goes into building really sustainable systems. Is, I mean, yeah. it, think, of, think of it this way: how many, how many, um, how many Salesforce implementations start off of a blueprint or a best practice for how these things should be implemented? <laughs> is 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 there a reliable blueprint for, to to do that? I mean, I, I guess I is. I don't want to pull us too much off of CICD, but I think that I can see how they're related. I mean, is, is low code, no code implementing, you know, implementing best practices? Is it creating code safety or is it all about performance? Well, it, it sounds like it's just like uh, uh, open source where they just sort of say, I want, someone says, I want this and software is easy. So make it so. And, it's supposedly magically supposed to appear on that guy's desk tomorrow. Was, and that's uh, what low code is. That That is the magic goblet for uh, biz, business folks and software these days. Low uh, code, no code is going to make, give you your application tomorrow. 
because there's no coding, therefore it's fast. Yeah. Well, let me let me play this back slightly differently because I don't think that's really um, accurate as well, right? What, what I'd say is there, there's a lot of coding stuff that happens that that really um, is repetitive and doesn't generate business value. So if I need to create a, um, a, 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 I'm doing a CRM and I need to create a list of people I've called, right? That's a pretty simple table I wanna go create. I wanna add some attributes to it, right? And, and do I really need to go have a developer to do that stuff? Can I do that using a user interface to do that, right? Um, so there's tasks that can be easily automated and performed that should not require a software developer to go to. Um, we're, we're just making it easier um, to do those things. And that's where most of the low-code, no-code vendors started out in that area, right? They were a CRM. They were a, a business process management application. And as users wanted to add you know, new fields into a table, they simply created mechanisms via the user interface to do that without having to go back and do a whole other development cycle, right? And, and the average low-code, no-code vendor has been around for over 20 years, right? And, and they very much, there's probably about six different ecosystems. So I had to do, because we're in this thing, we had to go do the whole market analysis and that stuff. And so, um, you know, they're, they're, they tend to be very old. I mean, FileMaker is considered a low-code, no-code vendor. I think they're even in the bank of water on, on, on Gartner. Um, <laughs> you're you're so, going to yeah. say HyperCard next. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so Salesforce, FileMaker, what are the other top five? Oh. I mean, Salesforce is obvious. FileMaker, not so much. <laughs> yeah, you know, let me um, let me pull something up here. Um, let me see if I can pull up my spreadsheet into these things. But um, I'll give you the list. There's 30, 30 or 40 of these people out there um, into it. Um, what I found to, to tie it back to your topic in this stuff is uh, what I found interesting about the age of the companies um, was that um, none of them have modern frameworks. Right. None were basically right. built to be a platform. Um, and um, pretty much none of them. I mean, so, for example, having a, a no SQL, having functions, um, having those types of things were not something that was even on the radar for them. And, and almost every one of them is a monolith. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so Oracle, Oracle is probably one of those folks which has applications like SAP and Salesforce. And, and in fact, I bet SAP is another one of those low code ones too. But like you said, they're all the old folks that know the NoSQL didn't exist when they were doing it. And it still probably doesn't exist or is poorly attached to the process. Yeah. And, and they don't have a, they don't have a strong, some, most of them have some way of, of persisting your code out into some sort of an SCM into it. Um, but, you know, for, for the most case, the ones that do that, it, it's, you know, good luck with you to put any kind of a, a DevOps framework around it. For the best, for the most case, what I saw is, you know, they may have a staging environment to test your stuff into, but the notion of having, you know, dev, dev, um, test, staging to prod and that stuff, there were a couple that did that. Um, but not a lot. Um, so I'll see if I can find the, the thing I have in here. But um, is, is that a lack of code portability or is that a lack of just thinking through what the processes look like for that? Well, it's because they're all monoliths, right? <laughs> they were, all, think about it, they were written before the term DevOps, right? Even, even they were written before Kubernetes, they were written before containers, they were written before DevOps. <laughs> I, I, I have a potentially inflammatory question here. Yeah. Um, would would we consider WordPress to be a no-code, low-code platform? Oh, I love that question. Because well, it, it's definitely GUI-driven. It, I would. very little development that needs to be done for them writing the content of the pages. I would consider it such. 
I, you know, what I, where, where I go with it is it, it doesn't allow you to create applications, I guess, is where I wouldn't go there. Um, although you made me think about it. Um, well, but you can you can put applications on your page if if it's in their tool set. You can build a page that has it in their tool set. But they, they definitely have an extensible modular system where you can write yeah you can write code modules that you can add into the system. Yeah, but if I want to go create a a like you know in Hawaii right they had to go create the safe travels thing create create a thing to put my information in put my vaccination in yeah you know, do that kind of stuff you could probably write WordPress modules to do that but you have to go write PHP right you, you'd have to go write code to actually implement something. I mean, I haven't seen a module that allows you to basically just go create workflows in WordPress. So now I'm going to Google it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know that like with HubSpot, our HubSpot integration, we can create workflows out of a form that's not in WordPress. It, that's cross-site, cross-origin scripting. Um, but it, the integrations are seamless from the user's perspective. Um, Right. So the WordPress ecosystem allows you to access all that stuff. So WordPress alone, no, but WordPress ecosystem, there's lots of companies out there that provide those applications already. That supports the argument that it's low code, no code environment where you can build a, you know, I, I used to write code behind the websites to do stuff that, that this is doing. Um, Yeah, I, I I still think it's it falls a little bit short because you, you they actually don't inherently link data um, between pages, and that that to me is the missing. Yeah, I mean, like I, I feel like it's it's close, but but the lack of actually like a database where I can pull data from one page to another, and maybe I'm just not seeing it in WordPress, is a missing. Thing. I would love to be able to put together a whole bunch of snippets, which I can do, but then have it pull phrases from a, co a phrase database or something. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that what I saw in most of these things is you started out with, um, you know, a vertical application, and the part that really kind of tends to, to turn them into low code or no code is the ability to automate workflow. Right. So, so like in Salesforce, right, I've got a sales prospect. I've got an order. The order needs to be approved through the deal desk and that kind of pieces into it. Um, you know, that seems to be the piece that people added from their verticals to claim they now are low code, no code. Um, but anyway, it, it doesn't solve your DevOps problem. <laughs> I no, I, I actually think it's it's almost making it worse because the idea of doing a continuous integration off of that system is is really broken. Um, Depending upon the vendor, some have more capabilities. I know I can't find the spreadsheet I'm looking for, but if I do, I'll share it with you guys. Um, uh, in in that, you know, they do have some. Look, what I'd say is that that. Um, uh, uh, they're aware of their deficiencies and they're working on addressing it because every business you go to is going to be asking the questions about, you know, how do I, how do I ensure code quality as I go into it? And so you see a lot of noise around that. And then everything I've, I've noticed in here is, um, you know, they've begun to realize that they're not a platform. Um, they really are a point solution. Um, and, you know, that, that limits their use cases. And so I think they're looking at how do I retool um, to turn something like a Salesforce into a platform. So there's a, like the force component of it, which they would claim as a platform, but it's so wrapped around the CRM world, um, you can't really do good development on it. Uh, sorry, I've talked too much, um, but yeah. I, I think I think you're, you're, you're you know, sort of setting up the question I was going to ask, which is what, why CICD at all, right? I mean, we get very caught up in the pipelines and the build process, but a lot of it is, you know, I, I, I have something that's working. Can I change it and update it and have be, be confident that if I make those changes, my whole system is going to work together, right? That's, that's sort of, 
it's it's about competence to me that you're that you you can maintain the systems that you're relying on. It's about verification, I, I would say. Hmm. One of the 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 one of the common uh, one of sorry one of the the key components of CI is integration testing and, and unit testing, and, and you do that because you have a product that behaves in a particular way. And when you make a change, you want to ensure that you don't break that behavior. So are you saying that, and I'm, and I'm with you, don't get me wrong. Are you saying though that you cannot have a CI CD pipeline without integrated testing uh, and call it CI CD? No, no, no. You, you can have, uh, uh, you can have a CI pipeline without testing um or, or it will be a lot less useful because all it will give you is uh hopefully reproducible builds which is in itself um part of your uh verification process right if i if i if i if i compile it again and it gives me the same result that that in itself is a test. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a low bar. Okay, so yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 but it's a bar. I'm, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and, and and to be fair, Larry, there, like, it, I might be going in, in, in a circle there, and it's like, and and, and may, maybe maybe uh, under with with that assumption that 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 even even like being able to build something reproducibly is a test. Then yeah, CI without tests would be use, useless because you have nothing left. Um, I, I guess it, it depends on on to what degree you consider something a test or not. I I I I would actually argue as much as I think tests are essential. Just the idea that things integrate off of a developer's desktop is is a potentially a big milestone. Because it is really common to be building code that, you know, what work can build on one person's desktop, and then you send it into a CI system, and there's some some problem that, you know, wasn't detected because of the dependency they didn't realize they had. I mean, I I, I still celebrate when my Docker builds run, and those are, you know, those are <laughs> really simple scripts. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, uh, I, 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 sorry, Rocky. Uh, I'll, I'll let you in a minute there. Well, I was uh, going to say that a uh, you have a problem still with CI in that, for instance, my friend at VMware, there were there there were build scripts that have been in the system for a long time that just built, and everybody just let them build, and yet yeah, it built, it integrated. And when it broke, it broke because there was a, a, a server missing. What was that server? Somebody's desktop. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I I was gonna mention an anecdote that's a bit different with that. Uh, CI, uh, I inherited at one point a uh, CI system that that worked fine. It had been working for years. Uh, and uh, due to a server failure, it, it, it needed to be reprovisioned. Like the the configuration was declarative, so so everything was the same, but new builds were failing. The reason being that the system never purged its library cache. So one of the one of the ancient libraries had been cached forever there, and it was no longer available in, in public repositories. Oh, yeah, right. I've I've had build I've had builds fail because the build server didn't have a piece of software installed on it. Yeah, but that's like these are all so to be there's so many different types in there, but at one level what you're talking about is is I, I want CI because I want to basically test frequently, right? I, I want to make sure my integrations are working. So I, I basically find it quickly, I fix it quickly. Right. And, and, you know, I think that's what this is all about. It's, it's, it's trying to avoid the thing where I've got six development teams, my poor wife, when she's working on these government projects, you know, they would go for a year or two years and then they try to integrate things together. It didn't end well. <laughs> right. 
So I, I think you're trying to avoid big bang anything by, by basically doing it frequently and doing it early where you can find and fix things far more quickly. When we talk about missing libraries, it's like, well, you know, we have this thing called dependency management, right? We have this thing called vendoring, right? We have better solutions to those problems today that, than, you know, I think existed 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Uh, but that's a different problem piece that really, I don't know that it's part of the CI system. It's really about when you're writing code to introduce dependency management into it. And then what's your strategy? Um, but, but to me, yeah, there's a bunch of different threads in here. There's um, the, the decomposition of code so that we don't have huge dependencies between different teams that go into it, some of the agile pieces into it. It's about um, you know frequent testing of the code and the integrations together so I can find things quickly, avoiding big bang releases. And then the, the CD part to me is about eliminating people because they are mistake points, right? So if I can automate the deployment of code in here, I can do it faster, more repeatably, and I can eliminate the human errors that tend to come from run this script or I don't know, John's the only one who knows how to do that, call him. Absolutely, yeah, uh, I agree with that. Uh, 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 just to be clear, when, when I was mentioning like a, like a testing being uh, an integral of CI, like I, I purposefully said only CI, not CI/CD. I, I personally consider CI and CD these days to be separate tasks. Um, hmm. and, and I mean, particularly with with with, uh, with approaches like, uh, that are popular now, like like GitOps and, and so on. Uh, there is a, a, a there's a clear divide of responsibilities between CI and CD. I think that's a reasonable thing. Do you see them as separate pipelines? Would yes. Yeah. I like it. Uh, but to extrapolate or interpolate on John's is that even CI is to reduce uh, the need for human in the loop because it's getting the process to such that any human can figure out what went wrong instead of just the, the build release team so, or one person on the team. Let me give you like two ends of spectrum on testing. So yeah, Dave Thomas is one of the authors of Agile, right? I, I was listening to one of his talks and he goes, I don't test my code and I don't need to. He says like, I, I, there may be something that's overly complex on my race test cases to it, but I've coded for so long that I, I can statistically prove that with no test cases, my code is just as reliable as anyone else's. Sure. So, so yeah. there's one, one aspect of it. And then there's the other aspect of this, which is whole um, test-driven design, where you write the test cases first, and then you write the code to conform to the test cases. Right. So there's a, a range of topics around the, the, the testing piece that goes into it. And, you know, for me, um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of test-driven design because um, you know, I, I, I wrote a whole event bridge for S3 to, to Azure and all this stuff over the weekend, right? I didn't write any test cases for it, yet I was still figuring shit out. <laughs> you know? that, I'm figuring shit out, that's the keyword. Like, test-driven design assumes that you already have a clear idea of the final behavior of the application. But... In, in many cases, uh, particularly when, when, you, when you're working on proof of concept, is you, you have a vague idea of what, what you want to do, and then you, you start messing around until you get a final product that behaves as you think it should. And then you write your tests to, to conform to, to those behaviors. Yeah, and you write tests that I think um, add value. So I had um, the VP of engineering that worked for me um, at Ericsson, you know, came in and he was, he was touting the fact they had 97% coach coverage on, on their stuff. And I'm going like, you realize how much of my money you just wasted? <laughs> right. Do, do I really need to have like in, in my code, you know, if, if I can't read um, some critical file and it's, it's, you know, OS exit minus one, right. <laughs> your, your, your pod crash. Do I really need to test that my pod crashes when a file is missing? No, I get all kinds of information about that. So, I mean, there is, I think, this, the range of testing. Do I don't test at all? Do I do test-driven design? So, I think the really the, the question around testing is what testing adds value and, and decreases the chance of 
uh, failures in production kind of stuff. I, I don't think there's a a singular answer to that. But if, if I look at the news groups that are out there and if you Google what percentage of code coverage should I have out there, all you see is emphatic replies to say 100 percent. Yeah, that's wrong. Not in the test community. If you're in the test community, they don't say that. (laughs) Well, but so so the a question though is is what are you what are you trying to solve? So one of the one of the companies I worked for a long time ago is basically a big warehouse, right? I mean, and and I had a I had a developer who was my DBA who had been working on this project for over three years. Mm -hmm. I I had him walked. Right. So I, I didn't do it, but somebody somebody decided that he was no longer uh, a good fit and walked him. They gave me a new they walked him on Friday. They gave me a new SQL developer on Monday and expected there to be no change in my schedule. They were not a software company. They were a warehouse company that built things. And so they didn't understand the software process. Now, if we had a test environment and we had all of this automation around it, then it's possible to plug someone in and have them just pick up and where the other person left off because those tests count as documentation. But the reality is never that. So, I mean. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. So think about so you think about that though, when you talk about tests in that case, right? So a lot of the database world, is, is about optimization, right? And, and so, you know, what kind of tests are valuable in the database world? You know, do, do I test my CRUD operations on a database table? You know, that, that to me, you know, there's some structure validation of things that should be in the code. But when it comes to basically a database, the thing I couldn't have told a new person walking in is all the stuff I went through to tune that database, right? And then how I tested that the database performance was right. True, and but some is there value in having a test that does CRUD operations just so that you can tell when a schema change changes the type on one of the variables that's being returned by a stored procedure that crashes the rest of the code. I mean, yeah. you know, it and and that's it's it's one of those things where I'm 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 with you. 100% test coverage is insane. There's no reason to do that because. You need to test the hot spots. Um, I, I actually so so we 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 maintain probably sixty percent, sixty five percent test coverage, and the team fights really hard to keep that number um, to the point where when we're we're building like we did all this HA work to build an HA cluster infrastructure, right? And that is actually incredibly well tested in the code base. Like our 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 tests. We'll test HA failovers as part of um, our our normal build process, um, and and the team does not would not give that up. Like we spend extra time making sure that happens because it is so easy for a accidental change to break certain behaviors in the system, and so. Like we're super careful about all that stuff. Even down, like we we test outputs from the CLI. Um, so, right. so would you would you say, Rob, then that your 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 tests uh, measure the critical points that would affect your SLOs? Yeah, that's that's they're 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 ensuring. You know the features. The features op, that the system operates as we expect to operate, and, and we test do that performance, which is oh, that's all SLO. Um, the the thing that that we want to add, which is not going to, I don't know if it'll impact our test coverage at all, but what we're what we're in the process of building is is integration tests where we actually spin up uh, typical workloads run them through a nightly process or a per check-in process and make sure that all of the routine tasks that customers do using the content packs get built. Um, And that that's going to test as much the internet dependencies that we have rather than our code. Um, But that, that's what burns us right now because we have good test coverage. 
So see, anyone that comes to you with a test coverage number and, and counts it as the, the true, correct, best number doesn't understand the testing and doesn't understand the software. Because, you know, Rob, your 60% is perfect for y'all. But there are other places where 60% is too much or, or too mm -hmm. little. It all depends. I, well, it, I mean, the, 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 point, the point of it to me, and, and I, I did like a year of test-driven development when I, I controlled both sides of the interface. So it, it, was, it was a doable thing. And it was actually really liberating to write the test, do the design, write the test, iterate through that process. Um, and even then I didn't get to hundred percent test coverage, but the, the, the thing that the test coverage lets us do is not worry about breaking working function as we, as we change the code, right? So if the team refactors something, they can touch, you know, every module in our system without worrying that, that, that refactoring or that feature enhancement has broken, you know, behavior. And that's what the test coverage does, right? I don't care about the number. What I care about is, can I make a sweeping change or even a point change in, in the system and know that, you know, we're not going to have downstream implications from that change. It's that, that's the, this is the confidence to me that, that you have to measure. I don't know, it's just hard to do. And, and so what that, that allows to be said is that at a minimum, if you have tests that that validate or check the functionality, which is not going to be, especially for a, a system with lots of interactions and interfaces, it won't be anywhere close to 100%. Like Rob said, it'll be 60% because you don't test the error cases very often and you don't need to to make sure you haven't broken the functionality. And so that error injection situation is something separate from the functionality. And all that functionality test is essentially integrated unit tests, which, again, make it so that you know immediately when you broke something, uh, somebody else's thing, because you changed something that tweaked the functionality. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think it gets you that. Right. I, I, I think so. One thing when Larry's talk about, you know, someone changed an attribute. Right. I, I think, you know, object versioning. <clears throat> so, you know what you should expect from this payload um, is one thing you see missing from almost all the APIs in it. Right. And having some agreement about interchangeability of messages between these components. Um, I think that's a piece that moves you closer towards that. I, I think testing that all my credit operations worked is is not. I mean, sure, you should have something that does it into it, but I mean, what, what I found is, you know, our test cases, we did enough, we thought, to validate the core functionality. So let's look at the 30% the of the code that gets executed 95% of the time, right? I, I want good coverage to those code paths, right? Um, and then there's the code that gets executed infrequently, right? And, and what tended to happen, and then this sounds horrible, but it's the truth, because uh, some of the things you just can't mimic in a test lab is, you know, shit would break in production, right? And so what you do is you go back in and you would either refactor or you would add test cases in to make sure that would never happen again. And that's how we tended to grow our test cases out organically. It's like, what are the things we ran into in production that caused failures that we couldn't have reasonably anticipated or known about? I mean, because it's just too tough to think of all the things that may come up um, yeah. in that. Yes, please. Every production bug should lead you to having a new test. I'm, Which, I'm a firm believer in that. That's, that's, we, we follow that that mantra also. Before you fix the before you fix the code, so, you you create a test. So in yeah, in the test community, all those tests that that unit tests and things like that that most developers write are considered by the test community checks. It's just verification that this, yep, it still works the way it is. And in the test community, uh, the testers focus exactly on those production things and those areas where uh, 
were the cases that aren't often hit, but are critical. And so they have this balance going on of what would be really bad if something happened, if, if this broke, okay, can I verify that it won't break? And those are the tests that the testers focus on in the test community. So there is a differentiation between checks and tests. Checks are fine and they're great and they're wonderful for integration uh, because they they catch uh, changes that uh, interfaces and APIs and stuff like that are going to break on. But the real test from the test community pro- point of view are all those things that can go wrong after when the code is actually doing useful things as opposed to exercising itself. Yeah, but I think once again, you're, you're, you're assuming they can anticipate what those things are, race conditions, <laughs> other weird things that happen well, in production. That, that so, is what a good tester, uh, they're, they're aware of a lot of these things. Can they create them? They try to create them. Do they know how it's going to break? No, but the assumption is there is uh, there are places where timing is is uh, important and where thing places where they're not and they're uh, and you learn and this is a lot of its experience like you're saying and the same with race conditions developers learn through experience where it really hurts but you the the testers specifically focus on what they call a lot of them focus on exploratory testing. How can I put together a system and it's how do I intelligently replicate chaos engineering, chaos testing? And there are testers who specifically focus on that. And some of them get really good. And those are the folks who can actually command a lot of money, but there aren't a lot of them out there. And a lot of companies don't see a value in training folks up along those lines. So, uh, but for instance, when I was at Inktomy, all of our tests that we ran were integration tests that were essentially stress tests on the system because stress is what broke the system. And every time a customer broke, we would write a test that would replicate that breakage so that we could test against it and make sure it was fixed. Okay, but you said Inktomi. I didn't know you were there. Yeah, you know? Inktomi. Yeah, and so I, what I remember most famously about Inktomi is that they had the, the main the main process for the caching engine had a watchdog, and that the watchdog was so unreliable they had a watchdog for the watchdog. <laughs> and then when they open sourced it, which eventually became ATS, what a uh, it was that that code was not great code, um, but um, the, the one thing one thing I agree with, I think f- failure injection is a far faster way of, of figuring out where things might break than, than trying to speculate and test. I, so I think chaos is great, right? I, I think the whole theory behind chaos testing should be part of every test plan. Wait. Which, I mean, I know we're at the top of the hour, but perhaps a topic for, for future discussions, uh, test budgeting. Because when, when you want to do chaos testing, you, you want a production-like system. So you need to budget a production-like system for your tests. Boy, I can't tell you how much I disagree with that one. We can have uh, yeah, this. Netflix actually does it on their real systems. Yeah. They, don't, they do it in production. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long conversation. (laughs) It's amazing what they do now, but (laughs) Facebook Facebook does lots of companies that you you can never. I'm adding that to the the discussion backlog. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) So to cap us all the way back around, though, to CI/CD, can I mean tests? Tests should be at this point some type of test automation. I think should be considered a part of your your CI Um, pipeline. And that's why CI is different from CD because CI, right. generally the tests, generally, in most cases, the test in the CI system is, is going to be those checks, just validation that everything is, is still working. But 
there's a separate section that needs those stress tests. You can't run those stress tests in a CI system. They have to be run on a real deployed system. And so those tests should happen in the CD environment. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's a hard one. I, I would say that that the tests, as you described, then should happen after CD. Yes, uh, after delivery. Be, yeah, they should be run on the uh, delivered a delivered system, not necessarily yeah. on the production system, but a delivered system that is the same system that is the del- same design, same software base as is delivered to production. And there should be a synchronous from either yeah. CI or CD. Yeah, because they tend to take a while. So if if they run and fail, and, and we're, after, we're out of time because I want to, if they run and fail, how do you recover? And, and recovery from a bad deployment when the deployment modifies the schema and you've not done a, you know, an evolutionary database type. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that's a that's a long yeah. discussion about uh, A B test uh, A B testing or deployment uh, and deployment environments uh, <laughs> and so on. Yeah, that so CD is All a totally whole separate a- extra hour or more discussion. We we are not we are not going to run out of, we are not going to run out of topics. That is very clear. All right, everybody, <laughs> I love this conversation. Thank you. I'll I'll talk to y'all soon. Cheers. Larry, it was good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you all. Thanks. And if we have a test discussion, maybe I can see if I can invite one of uh, the test folks I know who have been doing this forever. Do invite them and we'll 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 update the agenda just when they can come. That's great. Cool. Please, please, please. I love to I love talking about tests. I learned a lot. <laughs> Everyone. Thanks. Thanks. Wow, every time I think we have a simple topic, we find that there is so much depth to consider in how you think about building these components. And if you're not doing CI pipelines, drop what you're doing. Start using CI pipelines, even if you're just integrating the build. One of the big lessons to me in this one was just build integration is critical. Make sure you can do it. Um, And then start adding tests and making your delivery more reliable your integration more reliable. I hope this was helpful. Please join us for additional conversations about this at the2030.cloud. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put Uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and, you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.